We're going to dive right into the word. If you would turn to 1 Chronicles 29.10, if you have your Bibles with you, if you don't, I encourage you to bring them. Most of the time you can have it on your phone, so if you have your phone with you, you have your Bible with you, right? So 1 Chronicles 29.10, I'm just going to read that together. Um, It starts out with, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel. From everlasting to everlasting, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Then he goes on to say, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent, and now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you're a generous God. David, who was a man after your own heart, he recognized how generous you were. God, I pray that you would speak through me this morning, that your words would speak through me and that, uh, that everyone would have ears to hear what you would say to them. Every one of us is in a different situation. And God, um, we need to hear your voice. We need to hear your word. So we pray for you to meet us here this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. So the, the title of the message, what we're talking about this weekend, we've, we're in this radical series, right? Can you say Radical. So we've been hearing here a lot of radical uh, messages, right? So this week is radical generosity. And I'll tell you what I think radical generosity is. And, and you'll see this as a common thread throughout this message. Radical generosity is giving it all. That's the only thing that radical generosity is. No, nothing less than that. It's giving it all. So let's, let's look at what I would say are the three prerequisites to radical generosity. And David spells them out in in his prayer and in what he says. Um, First of all, it starts with a heart of gratefulness and thanksgiving. You can't have that kind of radical generosity without having radical thanks and gratitude. So this is what what he said in that scripture in... uh, In verse 10, he said, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks. Say thanks. And praise. Say praise. Praise. For your glorious name. 
So he has thanks and praise. He recognizes that his heart has to be thankful for him to give, right? So then he goes on, and the, the second prerequisite is to recognize where all we have comes from. And this is, this is David talking, okay? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. He goes on to say, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. So I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I'm pretty, I'm guessing that everything probably means everything, and all probably means all. So I, I think that it's a prerequisite for us to be radically generous, to recognize where, where it comes from. I'm going to come back to that. I think it's really important. Um, he goes on, and the third prerequisite is to recognize that God's ultimate goal is our heart. Say heart. Heart. God's goal is our heart. So this is what David says at the end of that scripture. He says, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. It almost sounds like he thinks that when they gave, it might have connected their hearts to God, doesn't it? So what we find is that God's goal in us being radically generous is for us to realize that he wants our heart, to have our heart connected to him. So I'm going to go, um, I'm just going to go through and I'm going I'm to build a case to start out for why everything is God's. I think that a lot of times we're really tied to our things. And you can look in their scripture after scripture that says that one of our greatest struggles is that our hearts are tied to things of this world. So I'm just going to build a case that what you have isn't yours, okay? So we're going to start out, yeah, yeah, what you have isn't yours. So Genesis 2, 7 says this, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So let me ask you this, where did your breath come from? Where did your life come from? From the very, very, very beginning, it all came from God. Now, I think this is interesting, but a lot of people refer to themselves or maybe others as, you know, that person's dirt poor or that person's filthy rich, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter whether you're dirt poor or filthy rich, where'd you come from? Dirt, dirt right? <laughs> so, and the Bible says dirt you came from and dirt you're going to go back to. You can't take anything with you. So, from the very beginning, all we, all we have is from God. He formed us. Um, at your personal beginning, you individually, that was Adam, right? But this is what Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before one of your days came to be, God already knew you. 
he had already preordained every day that's in your dash, right? Have you heard of that? You know, there's like your beginning and there's your end and there's your dash in between. So every, one, every part of that dash was preordained by God. So he's the one who gave you every day you have. Amen? So now we'll move on. So right now, in this very moment, Acts 17, 28, the beginning of it says, For in him we live and move and have our being. We live, you're living right now, and you're moving right now. Your very being is from God. It's not yours I mean, he, gave, he, he obviously gave us life, but it's, it's from him. So, um, and lastly, James 1.17 says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So every good thing in your life, every gift is from God. Are you guys convinced? Okay, we're convinced. Everything we've got is from God. That's where we have to start to be able to be radically generous. We have to recognize where it comes from. Now, this is just a thought. I feel like God gave this to me to share with you because I think that it's easy to get uh, kind of beat down. Um, and we look around and we see, you know, I don't know, on, on TV or, or movies, we see people wealthy and live in what we think might be the good life, right? But I would contend that if you truly live out the belief that all you have is God's, then you won't ever consider yourself wealthy by human standards. You'll never be wealthy. It's impossible for you to be wealthy by human standards if you believe that God gave it all to you and that it's all his. But you will, also, you will always consider yourself wealthy in the kingdom regardless of how much you have. It doesn't matter how much you have. You're, you're wealthy. You're, we're, right? We're princes and princesses in the kingdom of God. You're wealthy. So it makes sense that the creator of everything, the one who gave it all to us, would look at things a little bit differently than we do. And I believe he looks at things more than a little bit differently than we do, a lot differently than we do. So let's look I'm just going to look at the requirements that I believe that we have to have radical faith, to give it all. So what does it take to give it all? And the first thing that I think it requires is radical faith. It requires faith to have radical generosity. Luke 21, 1 through 4 says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. You can tell this is a theme, right? You already heard this. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So my question for you is when you give, do you ever feel like, I don't really have enough to give to make a difference? Do you ever feel that way? It requires... It requires faith, I believe, to give. So in the world, there's roughly 7.7 .7 billion people in the world. And roughly 50% of those people are in extreme poverty. That means they make less than $2.50 per day to live on. Now, let's say that you're radically generous and you 
want to give it all, and what would it take for you to be able to bring them, guarantee to bring them out of poverty for one day if 50% of 7.7 million people? How much would it take? If, let's, say it's, let's say it's $2. Let's say it's $2, $2 to, to bring them, guarantee everybody's out of poverty for a day. That's almost... Seven, it's over $7 million to bring him out of poverty, right? So $7 billion. So one day would cost $7 billion. Now do you feel like your gift is insignificant? <laughs> I do. There's two, roughly 2.1 million Christians in the world is the estimate they have. So if all of us, though, gave $6 a day, that could be accomplished every day. That's crazy, right? It's not that much. That's like a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Not drip coffee, right? All right, so I love what Mother Teresa says. She said something to the effect of, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. I think she lived out a life of faith. And I think she understood gen radical generosity. But we can do no great things, only small things with great love. So I'm going to try to try to convince you that the small things in your life make a big difference. And I want to share a few times in my life where the small things have made a big difference. Um, a few years ago, my business was really struggling. Um, we were um, doing our best not to lay off employees. And it was taking a lot of faith just to keep going, honestly. And I used to go, uh, I, at that time I was running with my engineer in the mornings. We'd, three days a week we'd go out running and at the end of the, the, uh, us running together we'd grab a cup of coffee. And I remember one day, I ran, we were coming up to the, the place where we got coffee and I was, like, I was like, had this realization that I didn't have the money to buy us both a cup of coffee. My cards were maxed out. We pay off our cards every month, I believe that that that's the best way to operate. Um, but at that time, we had gotten a situation where our cards were maxed out and I had a card in my pocket, but it, it wasn't gonna pay for the cup of coffee. I know it's really pitiful, that's the reality, okay? So I'm walking, I walk into the place and my heart is just, you know, there's just a pit in my stomach and I'm feeling like this is, this is just messed up. I, I can't imagine I'm here. So I walk in and we've been coming to the same place for about six months and I walk in and I'm like, I'm not sure I'm why I'm walking to the door, but here I am. So, and the owner's sitting there and he said, hey, I saw you guys running this morning. And he's like, I want to buy you guys your cup of coffee this morning. <laughs> He'd never done that in six months. He'd never bought us a cup of coffee. And this was the first time that I walked through the doors and I didn't have the money, right? Radical generosity. Now, it was a small thing. I'm sure that that cup of coffee wasn't his last cup of coffee. But it takes, I believe that God was speaking to him and that he had dedicated his coffee shop to God. And then when God spoke to him, he obeyed. Is that beautiful? So it's the small things. The small things make a big difference. Um, I, I had one, uh, one time... Uh, a person, I was talking with them, and, you know, in our church, we say we give because we love, and they asked me the question, like, what if you don't have anything to give? How do you feel if you don't have anything to give? And I thought about it, and I'm like, that's not possible. 
It's not possible that you don't have anything to give. And it reminded me of a story um, that we experienced in, uh, when we went on a missions trip in Kenya, and we were uh, at this school, and we were bringing this uh, meal to these children. It, it was like they came to school, I think, partially to get one meal a day. And we brought them a meal, and we're ha- they were having a celebration, the last day of school. And um, at, that, at, that, um, at that meal, there was one child that was sitting there with an empty plate. And the other ones had this heaping mound of food that I would have a hard time eating. I mean, it was a lot of food. And this one child had an empty plate. And I was like, what's going on here? Are they like punishing this kid who gets one meal a day for something and not giving him any food? And they're like, no, don't worry about it. Watch this. And they, that one child walked around to each one of the other ones. And they took a handful of theirs and they put it on that plate. And by the time he got to the end of that group of kids, he had a heaping plateful that was bigger than any of the other ones. We all have something to give. What they were teaching those kids was the idea of generosity, that, that we're given something so that we can give something. And even if it's a small amount, it's a handful of food, it's something, right? God gives you something. You all, all have something to give. So, um, secondly, radical generosity requires sacrifice. Radical generosity requires sacrifice. John 6, 5 through 9 says this, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? How far will that go among so many? I think that we ask that question, like, when we're giving. Like, is this really going to make a difference? But I think there's actually two miracles that happened in this. And we, we usually focus on feeding 5,000, Jesus' miracle, right? But I think there was a miracle before the miracle. And I think that miracle was a small boy giving up his lunch. How many of you have a small boy or have had a small boy? How many of you know how hungry they are when, they, when, when, they, when it comes to lunchtime? I think there was a miracle that God worked in that boy's heart to give up his lunch. Now, I think he gave it to Jesus. And when we give our small amount, I believe we usually give it to Jesus. We're like, Jesus, I hope this makes a difference, right? And that's what I think he was doing. And what did Jesus do with it? He multiplied it. And that's what God does. He multiplies what we give. So we, we trust we sacrifice to God. I think he sacrificed. I think, he, I think it was a big sacrifice for a little boy. And he gave that to Jesus, and then he watched. He's got he's to be blown away as he watches 5,000 people get fed with his lunch. And that's what I think that we see. We see how far what we can give can reach. So... I think 
I, I have, a, I have a, a testimony in my life where um, I had something like that happen. And I think we don't, we don't ever really know how far God multiplies what we have. But my wife and I um, have had a, always had a heart for missions overseas. And um, at one point, uh, we, when in, our, in our late 20s, we had set aside some money. And an opportunity came up for us to go over and serve in Nairobi, Kenya. And um, we had just enough to really get there and get back. And that's about it. And our hearts were to give more than that, but we didn't have more than that. So when they presented to the church that we were at at the time, when they presented that we were going, um, we, had, we had saved about 5000 and um, to go. And so somebody in the church said, you know what, I want to give 5000 too. So God multiplied. He just doubled it. It wasn't like times 5000 but he multiplied it. And um, then we went over, when we were, when we were there, there was uh, an opportunity to just buy a sewing machine. Of course, now we have the funds to do it. And we buy this guy a sewing machine. But what's interesting is this guy, um, he was a tailor by trade, but what he was doing was he was guarding all night. He would sit in this school in the slums and guard it because otherwise everything would be gone in the morning. So he'd guard that all night. So what, what God did was we bought that guy a sewing machine and he took that sewing machine and he sewed clothes for all the children in the school. And then he started a business sewing and supporting his family all night. Instead of sitting there and guarding, he was sewing. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know how far that went. I don't know how much that impacted. But I, I could see the beginning of God multiplying what we'd been able to give. So God gives, God multiplies what we give. The third requirement for radical generosity is obedience. It's obedience. Mark 10, 17 through 22 says this. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him, him being Jesus, and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Radical generosity requires obedience. Now, I don't believe that God needs our money. I believe he uses our money, but I don't believe that that's really what he's after. I think that Jesus could look right into that guy's heart and he knew that his possessions were an idol to him. His possessions were what was holding him back from walking in the fullness of what God wanted for his life. And I know that we all struggle with that to some degree. Our possessions hold us back. And so what he did, it says that he looked at him with great love, right? He, he, he loved the man enough to tell him, you've got to set this aside and you've got to 
the only way that you can follow me with your whole heart and the only reason, way you can have your heart connected to me is to give this up. And what did he have to give up? All of it. Now, I don't believe that God calls each and every one of us to sell our possessions. That's not the point. But what I do believe that he calls all of us to do is to give it all to him, to commit it all to him. See, when we commit it all to him, he knows that the resources are at his disposal. If God gives you a house and you have committed everything to him, your house is at his disposal, right? If he gives you a business, the business is at his disposal. He can do a great work with whatever he gives you as long as you've committed it to him. So the purpose of radical generosity is really connecting your heart with God's heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says this, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesus looks past the performance. Radical generosity to one person might be putting $10 in the offering bucket or committing an hour a week to serve. For another person, maybe, maybe if you're retired, I'd say radical generosity is probably giving a lot more than an hour a week to God to serve. Amen? And if, you're, if, you, have, if you have a billion dollars, radical generosity might be giving more than a million dollars to God. You see, God looks at it differently because it depends on what would make, what would, what would, what would challenge you as far as faith goes, as far as sacrifices goes, as far as obedience goes. What would it take to maybe make you uncomfortable a little bit? And that's where I think that radical generosity happens. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is the, this is the importance of, this, of doing that, is for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's a principle. It's a principle. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So um, when I teach on financial stewardship, a lot of times I'll mention uh, in the stock market crash where people are throwing themselves out of windows because they had invested in a certain place. So where do they invest? In the stock market. So what was, where was their heart? The stock market. I'm not saying not to invest in the stock market. That's not my point. My point is that you've got to be investing in the kingdom. You've got to be investing in eternal things. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So make sure that you're investing in eternal things. So what else does radical generosity require? I believe it requires being filled. Here's a concept for you that you must be filled to overflow. You must be filled to overflow. 
Now, I'm, I'm going to have a picture up here that shows this is what a life looks like when you're not filled. Now, maybe you're like me and you've tried to give when you're not filled. And when I say filled, I mean filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean daily walking with God. I mean having people pour into your life, being right here, listening to words of encouragement and being challenged. You're being filled, right? I've operated sometimes when I'm not filled and I, I look kind of, maybe I'm giving, but I'm kind of dry and cracked. There's not a lot of life. I feel kind of grumpy about it. Am I the only one? Have you ever felt, felt like you're, you're giving, but you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. And I mean giving to your family, giving to your, the people around you. That's when we're not filled. It's a, it's a symptom of us not being filled. So what does it look like if we're filled, but we're not pouring out into the people around us? Because the point is really for us to be filled, we're nourished and full and it's wonderful. I think it's a good thing to be filled, amen? But if we're not pouring out, check out this picture. It's kind of like a pond. Now, I know there's some greenery in this one. I couldn't find one that didn't have, I mean, there's ponds that look pretty nasty, but you wouldn't want to drink that water, right? It gets kind of stagnant. And that's what our lives look like if we're not being filled and pouring out. And here's, here's what it looks like. Here's what a healthy, beautiful life looks like. It looks like a clear lake that has a good inflow and a good outflow. God pours into you so that you can overflow. He does it for people around you. He does it for his kingdom, but he also does it for you. And I believe that the blessing that comes from being generous and giving has a byproduct. And it's not the reason you do it, but it's a really beautiful thing in your life because you're blessed too. Amen? For 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And Proverbs 11.25 says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. I think it's clear that we serve a God that wants to fill us to overflowing. He wants to use us to touch lives around us. Amen. So I'm going to end with some uh, don't, do's and don'ts of radical generosity. Because I think people can get a skewed idea of what it actually is. And I hopefully um, I've, I've uh, communicated what a lot of what it takes, but here's what you shouldn't do. Don't give what you don't have. Now that requires discipline because the average uh, family in the U.S., we actually go into debt by about 5% every year. So don't give what you don't have. That means that you'll have to have a budget, you'll have to set aside, um, set aside some money to give. You have to live below your means to be able to be generous. I can't find anywhere in the Bible where it says, uh, where it talks about borrowing to give. I can't find one verse where it says borrow and then give that money. So you'd have to have discipline. You have to live below your means. Don't give what isn't yours. You have to have the people in your life, your spouse, 
the other people that have an interest in, in it, they have to be on the same page with you when you give. And I, that can be a struggle. Sometimes you have to pray that God would speak to them as well, right? But you can't give what's not yours to give. Don't spend the majority of your time, energy, and money on the things that are temporary. I studied a, a great man. He was a businessman, and uh, his goal, his name is R.G. Letourneau, and he, he was an entrepreneur, um, and he had great faith. His goal was to give 90% and live on 10%. How cool would that be? So I'd say that he didn't spend the majority of his time, energy, and money on things that were temporary because by the end of his life, he accomplished what he set out to do. He was able to live on 10% and give 90%. Isn't that beautiful? Don't give to get. I think, it, I think it's just kind of weird. <laughs> just saying, it's kind of weird. Like, it, it's a byproduct, all right? God gave so much to you. You love God. You love the people around you because he's filled you. You're naturally going to overflow. And then a beautiful byproduct is that you're blessed. And you're blessed not just financially. Sometimes I've, I've been giving in a lot of ways financially, and I haven't felt blessed financially, but I'm blessed in other ways, right? So the blessing is a byproduct. Do recognize seasons of life in your radical giving. There's some, some parts of your life where you're going you're gonna to have more time and energy than money. And all the college students said amen. <laughs> right? And, and there's other times in your life where you're going to have more money than you have time or energy. So recognize the season you're in and be generous in the season you're in and the gifts you have. Do recognize generosity applies more to more than just money. Be generous with your giftings. God fills us. The fruits of the Spirit, of being filled with the Spirit, there's fruits, right, that pour out in the lives around us, and there's giftings that pour out in the lives around us. Do find ways to give that make you uncomfortable. It looks different for every one of us. Find ways to give that make you, that get you out of your comfort zone, that require sacrifice, that require faith, that build your faith, right? And that require obedience. Now, the last requirement of generosity, of radical generosity, I believe, is great love. And that great love we've experienced, because I talked about the beginning and kind of the middle, but I didn't talk about the end. And this is, this is what Romans 5, 6 through 8 says. It says, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the greatest love. That's the greatest radical generosity possible. Is Christ, the God of the universe, sending his son 
to earth to die for us.